You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. With regulations come violations, and the Stark regulations are no exception. Today we will explore what happens to the unwitting practitioner who runs afoul of the Stark regulations. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Jim Bream, an attorney with the offices of Query and Harrow. Jim concentrates on the defense of hospitals, managed care organizations, and physicians in professional liability programs. He has handled cases in the trial and appellate courts and is a featured speaker and guest lecturer on various health care and medical legal issues. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. So, Jim, give me the stark truth, if you will, on stark violations and, and don't hold back. Okay. So two buddies go fishing, all right? They rent a boat in what we'll call a safe harbor. And they go out on the lake, and they have just a tremendous day, a day like you've never seen before. Every time they put the line in the water, my God, a bigger fish comes out. They get back into the harbor, and one buddy turns to the other, and he says, Wow, that was a great day. You know, though, we're idiots. We should have marked the spot. That way we can go back, and next time we'll catch even more fish. So the buddy turns to his friend, and he says, Well, I did. I put an X on the side of the boat. The other guy turns back and he says, you idiot, how do you know we're going to get the same boat? (laughs) You see, like the unwitting fisherman in this story, logic and good intentions may not be enough to save the practitioner under Stark. If there is a failure to comply with the Stark regulations, both a hospital and an individual physician can be punished. So both of us can get hurt, not just, they're not going to go after just one of us. That's right. And they're likely to go after both because if they want to curb the practice, they need to get both parties involved. A Stark violation is punishable by civil money penalties. An anti-kickback violation is punishable by exclusion from federal health care programs. Criminal penalties of up to $25,000 in fines or up to five years in jail or both, and a $50,000 civil money penalty for each violation. So that, again, for people who aren't familiar with Stark, Stark has to do with the Medicare program, Medicaid program. That's where you'd get nailed. That's correct. And you can get excluded from the program, which in today's practice is a very significant sanction in and of itself. No regulation is a good regulation unless it has teeth, And I think the message we're trying to convey is be careful with Stark because it has some very powerful jaws. Wow. This is a pretty significant sanction. The government can also withhold payment on prohibited referrals or, and this is really very critical, seek to recoup past payments. So in other words, if there's been a violation, the government can go after you for past violations and past payments, which can be enough to to bankrupt a practitioner. Could wipe you out. Stark violations can also be the basis for claims under the Federal False Claims Act, and that also allows for treble damages or up to three times the improperly billed amounts, up to $11,000 per false claim. And that's for any claim made in which it was asserted that there was compliance with federal law and there wasn't. As it relates to the anti-kickback statute, can that also give rise to the liability as well? The anti-kickback statute prohibits any person or entity from making or accepting payment to induce or reward any person for referring, recommending, or arranging for federally funded medical services. 
violations there can also be prosecuted under the False Claims Act. What about lunch, Jim? You know, the the drug companies come into my office daily, and they provide me and my staff with lunch. And this usually comes out to be about 200 bucks a pop. So $1,000 a week, $4,000 a month, $48,000 a year are spent in lunches in my office alone, and I'm one physician. And it's been estimated that drug manufacturers spend $12 billion to $15 billion a year on marketing their products to physicians in the hope of influencing the physician's prescription patterns. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm with Jim Bream, attorney and featured speaker on various healthcare and medical legal issues. Jim, back to lunch, one of my favorite topics. You had mentioned that the drug companies spend twelve to fifteen billion dollars marketing their products to doctors, hoping that we will actually change our prescription patterns. It must work, because why would they spend that kind of money if it doesn't work? I assume they've done their research and can see that sending a nice, attractive young lady into my office or any office and feeding that doctor and spending 15 minutes with that doctor will change his habits, or else they wouldn't do it. Yeah, and beginning in 2002, the government's enforcement arm, the OIG, warned the pharmaceutical industry that these practices would need to change. According to the OIG, drug makers can violate the anti-kickback statute when they offer entertainment, recreation, travel, meals, or similar benefits, when they sponsor educational conferences. We all know about some of the perks that have been labeled as an educational conference in the past, and when they offer research grants, gifts, gratuities, and other business courtesies to doctors, hospitals, and other health care providers who influence the prescription of a drug of choice. So the party ended in 2002, basically. Prior to that, there were junkets going to Hawaii for pretty much any reason under the sun. We were going to the latest concerts, the latest plays, whatever came to town. We would be invited with our families, and that basically dried up in 2002. I think it's fair to say if it was a college bash, before 2002, it's a bit more of a tea party today. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the drug companies now can only spend $100 per physician per encounter. So I think they kind of fall below radar if they bring a lunch into a doctor's office and there's two doctors there. They can spend $200 and not really worry about raising any flags. Interestingly, the healthcare industry is taking this issue upon itself. And as noted in a New York Times article as recently as February 12 of 2007, some hospitals are now prohibiting the free lunch for physicians from drug companies. Community Catalyst, a healthcare consumer advocacy group that's based in Boston, and the Institute on Medicine as a Profession, which is a research group at Columbia University, called for stricter restrictions on the relations between the pharmaceutical company and the physician. According to the New York Times article, the uh, University of Michigan Health Systems banned these kind of lunches in 2005. They calculated that the lunches at their institution had been worth two and a half million bucks a year. Wow. So I'm wondering if they did that for ethical reasons or they did that because they wanted that $2.5 million to go into their own coffers for having people eat in their cafeteria. That drug lunch that we get daily, 
that is still currently legal, correct? Well, let me give you the legalese for a moment. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, their Office of the Inspector General, which is the OIG, the anti-kickback statute comes into play when purchasers are offered inducements, purchasers being the physicians buying the drugs, offered inducements such as concessions or other remunerations, and the purchased products are reimbursable to the purchasers in whole or in part, directly or indirectly, by any of the federal health care programs. The statute does provide an exception for discounts that are disclosed and accurately reported, but the exception only covers price reductions in an arm's length transaction that's given at the time of the sale. Jim, you know, I'm not really buying the the drugs from the drug company. I'm just a distributor, if you will, or I, I write the prescriptions, but I'm not buying the drugs, so I don't understand why that has to apply to me. Well, you're not a distributor. You're a physician who is going to be writing a prescription for a particular medication for one of your patients. The reason that it's being so tightly regulated now is that it's the drug industry that's come under a lot of scrutiny for their practices. And the government wants to make sure that the prescription patterns aren't being unduly or improperly influenced. And once again, as a sort of been a theme for us in talking about the Stark regulations and the anti-kickback regulations, we're looking at the best interest of the patient. It would be nice if the drug companies had no idea what my prescribing patterns were, but I know that that data is for sale. I think a significant portion of pharmacies' income comes from selling that data from physicians' practice habits and giving that over to the drug companies. And if they were stopped from doing that, I think that would help the problem significantly. So I'm wondering how has the industry reacted to all this? The pharma industry has tried to jump out ahead of regulation on their marketing, and they've passed various codes of conduct in an effort to sort of self-regulate. I think the pharma industry is hoping that if their codes can become accepted as sufficient forms of regulation, then there won't be an incentive to pass further legislation. And the OIG is keeping a very watchful eye, and in April of 2003, they issued some very strong hints in the form of a guidance document. They said that the following types of arrangements between physicians and pharmaceutical manufacturing companies could be problematic. Switching arrangements, where pharmaceutical manufacturers offer healthcare professionals cash incentives or other benefits in exchange for the doctor changing a patient's prescription from a competing product to their own product. That's one example. Another example is consulting and advisory payments. Pharmaceutical manufacturers sometimes enlist healthcare professionals to furnish personal services as consultants or advisors to the manufacturer. Compensating the doctor as a consultant when they're expected to attend meetings or conferences in a primarily passive capacity where they're, again, not earning their keep is something that's going to come under scrutiny. Additional concerns can include compensating physicians for services connected directly or indirectly to a manufacturer's marketing and sales activities. Speaking, research, being a preceptor, or providing shadowing services. The risk of violating the anti-kickback statute can't be eliminated simply by disclosure of the potential conflicts of interest.
It's an interesting one because they actually used to pay the doctor for a drug rep to come into your office and just watch you see patients for the afternoon, and they called that being a preceptor, and they would give you $500 for just letting that drug rep shadow you in the afternoon, and it led to nothing. Nothing came out of that except the fact that the doctor would feel some sense of obligation to perhaps write that drug more because he just got 500 bucks for doing nothing. Ding, 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 ding. I think you just hit upon one of the very types of practices that the OIG is placing under scrutiny. I'd like to thank our guest, Attorney Jim Bream. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell. You've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. 